Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and in each episode of Inside Books we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well-known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers and more. You'll find Inside Books on all audio platforms and our Twitter handle is at InsideBooksIRE where you'll also find lots of other interesting book news. My guest today is Sinead Moriarty, the author of 15 contemporary fiction novels. Her debut was called The Baby Trail, a complete bestseller that has been translated into 25 languages. This was quickly followed by a host of other well-known titles like In My Sister's Shoes, From Here to Maternity and Seven Letters. Eight of Sinead's books have been shortlisted for the Irish Book Awards and she's also won the popular fiction category for her book The Way We Were. A former board member of the Arts Council of Ireland. She's also an ambassador for the Eason Must Reads Book Club. She's just released her latest adult book. It's called About Us and also her first ever children's book, which is called The New Girl. And Sinead, I know we're here to talk about you. Yes. But first, I want to talk about your mother, actually, because it turns out she also wrote children's books. She did. Yeah. Thanks for the lovely introduction. So, yeah, my mum uh, wrote children's books, nonfiction. So she wrote about Irish historical figures like Joyce and Yeats and Gronya Whale and Jonathan Swift four children sort of in their early teens maybe sort of 12 to 14 and they were sort of short biographies because she felt that there was a gap in the market which indeed there was um, and actually her Yates book is still being sold uh, in the Yates exhibition really? yeah so it's phenomenal so yeah so, so, I, so I suppose I, I saw her writing at the kitchen table I saw her being turned down by publishers and then I saw her being published and I went to her book launches and so I think from a very early age the seed was planted but I, I didn't have the confidence to get going until I was 30 so it took a while and when you were reading her books then uh, as a child did you get the significance significance of the figures she was talking about. Well, she just made it very easy because you know she, made, you know, condensed the life of you know, condensed the life of Joyce or Jonathan Swift into like a, a small accessible book for teens is not easy to do but she did it very well so actually they were you know as, as a child you're kind of going okay I'm not going to be daunted by this it's not it's not that long and yet you're getting all the information that you need so actually they're very clever books So the seed was planted but mm. you went into journalism first mm. Well I took a bit of a windy road I sort of studied <laughs> languages in college which really didn't become come very useful at all but anyway then I kind of got did marketing for a while but all I ever really wanted to do was write so when I moved to London I decided it was sort of now or never so I thought well if I get a job in journalism I'll kind of you know I'll get my apprenticeship in writing um, but of course none of the you know nice glitzy laces would take me on because I had no experience so I wrote, wrote about printing presses which oh, is really as exciting as it sounds yeah, <laughs> yeah I spent a lot of time in Hamburg and Dusseldorf looking at printing presses um, writing about them but I do always say if you can make the a printing press interesting you know you definitely have some kind of talent so I did that for a while and then I kind of after a couple of years I was going nuts and then I had that kind of big birthday I turned 30 and I just thought well it's now or never So like was the creative thing in your head just knocking away and Mm. going I don't want to write about printing presses I need to write about something else Yeah I was actually losing the will to live to be honest (laughs) slowly Um, and then I just thought if I don't do it now I'm going to go nuts I need to write creatively so I joined a creative writing course bog standard I found it online and it was up in Maida Vale near near enough where I lived and that was the beginning really um, because I had tried doing it on my own I'd written two books I thought were absolutely brilliant and they were turned down by absolutely everybody. Really? And what were they about? So the first one was kind of like a Bridget Jones diary kind of vibe. I kind of, I read that and I kind of thought, well, maybe I could do that. Um, they felt it was too familiar. 
Then the second one, I said, okay, I'll do something completely different. So it was kind of a this sweeping historical fiction, kind of Kennedy-esque family set in Maine. And that was turned down by everybody I sent it to. And what feedback were you getting, though, when they were turning it down? Mostly, some people said, yeah, I like what you're doing, but this isn't for us. Some people said, find your writing really annoying. Don't give up really your day annoying. job. Yeah, that was a nice one. And, and did they explain it? No, no, just please don't send us anything else again. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I mean, I sent it everywhere. I was like, I spent more money on stamps than food. Um, this is pre-email, so it was, I was sending them out to, uh, it's 2004, so I was sending them out everywhere, like to New Zealand, South Africa, Australia. And then I realised the common denominator was me and the book was not good enough, neither of them. So then I kind of thought, okay, that's my apprenticeship. Now I need, now I need feedback. So I joined the Creative Writing Book group and that's when I started writing my third book, The Baby Trail, which did get published. But it was brilliant it didn't put you off all of that rejection. Yeah. There's a madness, I think, to to writers who don't give up. I mean, when I do creative writing talks, I always know who's going to make it in the class. I can see them because it's a it's a compulsion. They can't not write. And I couldn't once I started, I couldn't stop. And even though clearly my confidence had been absolutely battered to bits, I just thought, well, sod it. I, I'm going to keep going because I love the process of writing. I'm very calm when I'm writing. I'm very happy when I'm writing. Um, it's like meditation for me in a way. So when I joined the creative writing group, um, it was all we were such a funny odd odd bod bunch of people but we all had we all had the same kind of hopes and dreams and it's like finding your tribe um, and also they were all strangers to me and I was a stranger to them so we were we were able to be much more honest with each other about our feedback and at the time I was very private I hadn't told anybody I was writing not even my husband and um, so I kind of thought okay well the first two books have failed so what am I going to do now and as is so often the case you do my, you can sometimes mine your own life for your first mm. book and I was trying to get pregnant and I was failing miserably and I was having all these awful tests and I was feeling pretty low and I just thought maybe I'll write something like this and make it funny because by ma- by making jokes of all the tests and the failures of trying to get pregnant that was helping me deal with it you know because it is a lonely place so I kind of thought well maybe if I write something and my character's having the same scenario um Maybe it'll work. And that was The Baby Trail, which the tutor in the class was very enthusiastic about. There was a retired detective in my class uh, and he said, look, love, this isn't really my bag. But actually, I'm interested to know every week what happens. So I thought, OK, well, look, if a retired copper is interested, maybe I've got something here. Let's do it. Do you yeah. think also because you were writing something that was closer to your heart, mm. it made it easier to write? I think probably the passion um, and the that sense of rawness, um, I think, um, you know, and the loneliness of infertility. I think, yes, I think that definitely, it, it, you know, writing really, as I've discovered over, you know, nearly 20 years now, it's about the truth. It's about being really truthful and really honest and, and you know, being raw about your subject matters, whether you've any experience of them or no experience of them. And it's about research, obviously, as well, um, responsible research. But it's about people just people recognise the truth and they recognise when you're being really honest and your characters are being honest. And that that's really what I've discovered. And that's, I think, what makes a book stand above. So you obviously decided at this point, OK, we've got something here. Mm. So then, given the rejection you'd mm. already had from the publishers, yeah. how did you feel going into that again? Well, uh, the tutor was like, look, I think you've got something here. So I said, OK. Um, and I was always following the kind of publishing news. I was kind of slightly obsessed with the whole thing. And I saw a teeny tiny article in Publishers Weekly that said Ireland had just opened, uh, sorry, Penguin had just opened an Irish office. So I thought, OK, they've only been open a couple of weeks. I'm Irish. My protagonist is Irish. I'm going to send them the manuscript. 
hopefully they won't be inundated yet because they've only just opened their doors. And that really is how it happened. Like there is luck involved as well and timing. So I sent it and Patricia Devi, like it landed on her desk and she had time to read it. And I go into her office and I see the slush piles and I know half the problem with people trying to get published is just getting someone to read it, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. So timing is very important or if you have any kind of contacts or something, just to get an editor to read it. And then they rang me straight away. So I kind of went, woo, finally. <laughs> and what sort of an initial deal then was that? Was it two books, three books? It was two books and this is another top tip uh, I think it's really important to say. Um, so I got an offer and I couldn't get an agent. I, I, not only were editors turning me down, I could, agents were turning me down as well. So now I had an offer, no agent. So I went back to the four top agents in London that I really wanted. And of course they were like, darling, come in. Um, having wanted <laughs> none of me. Changing their yeah. tune, yeah. And I went, actually I ended up going with Helen Fielding who wrote Bridget Jones sorry I went with her agent he also represents lots of other people who I really admired like V.S. Napol and Sebastian Fox and he was just one of those kind of quintessential gentlemen and I kind of thought I'd like him to represent me and he was amazing and I was with him for a long time and sadly he passed but um, I'm now at Marion Gunn O'Connor but the point I'm, I'm, I'm making is that with one phone call he tripled my deal so yes they take 15-20% but you know what they deserve it because they make a comp- they make a difference when you're dealing with publishers and, you know, they do all that kind of, you know, financial negotiation, which leaves you free to write. And that's really where I want to spend my time and energy. And this is an important thing that has come up a number of times in Inside Books that essentially for a writer, it's like running a small business. Mm. You're running your own business. So you have to have all the plates spinning and understand everything from finance to marketing. So, I mean, again, what advice would you have around that in addition to, mm. to getting the agent? I mean, what how do you keep it running? We see it's changed so much like since I started. There was no social media when I started. And I do find that does drain a lot of your time. But what I will say is like I know from talking to different editors and agents, everybody everybody's looking out for the next thing. So they're always watching bloggers. They're always watching people on social media. So they're always watching and looking. So, you know, yes, have a social media presence. I mean, you know, they're always looking at literary journals, trying to get published in a literary journal or magazine or whatever it might be. I mean, the self-publishing auction, there's so many better or not better maybe, but new avenues. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you can you can self-publish. That's always good. If you self-publish and you do well on Amazon, that's going to get attention. It's really about trying to get attention. But also, as I said before, if you've any kind of contact or in, it's getting someone to read it. But the other thing I think is really important to say is if the book's not working, put it to one side and start something else. Really? Because I've met many writers who spent, I mean, we're talking 10, 15 years on the same book. You know, if people keep saying it's not working, it's not working. So just put it away. It doesn't mean that you'll never come back to it, but you need to write something else. And by putting it away, you free up you free up all that mental space to write something else. And when you say people are saying it's not working, you mean the publishers are giving you that feedback? Yes, your publishers, your friends, anyone you know, if, if everyone's kind of going, look, it's not working, it's not working and people are rejecting it all the time, you just have to put it to one side. I mean, I know it's painful. I've had to do it myself, Mm. but what comes out when you push that away and you you leave your head your headspace open to something else you'll be amazed what's going to come next like the best some of the best writing I've had to do is when you know even like my I think it was my 12th book I written half it and then I realised it wasn't working and it was nearly a year's work that I binned hmm. but the book that came after it was called The Good Mother and I think it's the best book I've ever written and I I needed to put the other one into the bin to, to free up my space. So, you know, don't be afraid. Okay. So, no, and it's interesting because I think a lot of people will want to, they don't want to mm. waste the time that's gone in, yeah. you know? But in so fact, they end up wasting more time. Right. And that was a year of your work. Yeah, it was. It was torture. Like, I, I, I cried when I put it in yeah. the bin. But And what did your publisher say? 
well, I just said I need more time. It's not working. They knew it wasn't working as well. Mm. Like it just wasn't working. And I, and the joy of going to my desk every day, my heart would kind of sink. And I just knew I couldn't make it work. So the point is, yes, it's really hard. But what came next, again, as I said, is, is probably the work I'm proud of stuff. So just you know, be brave. Mm. And you're on book 15 now. So, I mean, I can only imagine your writing style has changed or the way you approach it has probably changed, has it? Um, in a way, yes. And in a way, no, I still, you know, I still plot and plan. I still, you know, very sure where I'm going before I start because otherwise I would go down sort of dead ends and, and that would be a waste of time. For me, I'm a plotter and a planner. And, you know, it's still, you're sitting down and I try and do 2,000 word count a day. I don't always achieve it, but that's my aim. So in a way, it hasn't really changed. The only thing that's changed is my desk. <laughs> I got a nicer desk and a nicer chair. But um, no, really, the process is still the same. You still have the same self-doubt. You still have the same, um, this isn't good enough. Um, and yeah, no, it doesn't really change. And in a way, I think I'm harder on myself now mm. because I always want to push myself with each book to be better um, for the you know the stories to be more layered, for the characters to be even more authentic. So I think I, I drive myself on. But again, that's kind of part of self-employment, as you were saying, like you're self-employed. This is your little business. Like if this fails, I don't know what I do. Mm-hmm. So I am very focused. I am very disciplined. And I do push myself, but so do so do all the other writers that I know. And what I love about your work as well is that you're always touching on actually very contemporary themes mm. and topics, you know, and obviously you've had, as you mentioned, fertility, marriage and all of that. But more recently, you know, cyberbullying, eating disorders, euthanasia. Mm. And your latest book is, is about us. And it's three different couples at three different age groups mm. and sitting on a therapist's couch getting some work done on their on their relationship. But yeah. I love that you went for the three different age groups mm. and the demographics. Why did you decide to do that? Well, I didn't want it. I, did, I wanted it to be, I suppose, a book for everyone in one way. So, you know, Orla is in her mid-20s, Alice is kind of early 40s, and then Anne is in her mid-60s. I kind of wanted there to be something for everyone. And also, I thought it'd be much more interesting to have three people, three couples at three different stages in their lives because... Even as a reader, you're kind of going, oh, OK, so that's how they feel then and whatever they feel then. And I just thought it'd be much more interesting. And then I like the way their lives are slightly intertwined. And I, I loved writing this book. I had so much fun. And also, again, it's really honest, like I'm not holding back. I mean, it's it's the nitty gritty, the light and the dark of a, of a relationship and the ebbs and flows. Every relationship has ebbs and flows. And I want to show that. And you obviously have your own experience of, of relationships only to a certain age, though, because you're still very young. Yeah. So you're you're <laughs> not in your 60s. So in yeah. terms of that older aspect, yeah. how did you how did you research that? It's just always research. It's research, research. I mean, there are so many books on couples counselling, marriage counselling. Um, but so did you talk to family, friends about their relationships? Not really, no. I felt that was too too invasive. No, I, I was trying to keep, you know, separate to my own life. So I did a huge amount of reading. I do have a very good friend who's a therapist. And I talked to her just so that, so that Maggie's kind of speak and the, and the terms she uses would be very authentic. But um, it's it's amazing. There's so much information out there and lots of sort of papers and, uh, and first-hand accounts. And Esther Perel's um, very famous uh, podcast is also a very good source. So, yeah, I just kind of... Uh, Again, it's all about responsible research. And then when I felt confident enough, I started writing it again. I mean, I, there, it, it, it was different in the beginning. It, it became I had to change it around a bit, but I'm really happy with the result, actually. Yeah, I really am. And it's getting great, great reviews. Yeah, and it's done really well. I'm really, really pleased, actually, because I think, again, I think people are enjoying it and also getting something out of it. You've also taken on, I suppose, a new role as a children's author. So you've got a, a children's book out at the same time. So you were obviously very busy during the pandemic, were you? 
Yeah, I was. I suppose I had more time, really, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I felt, you know, uh, the children's book is called The New Girl and it's by two little girls in, in school. One of them is a Syrian refugee. She's 11. She's just landed, Safa. And Ruby is kind of chosen by the teacher to be her buddy. And Ruby's raging because Ruby's got enough going on. She's got loads of stuff going on at home. She has a special needs brother who she has a love-hate relationship with and she feels guilty about it. And then we have Safa. So each chapter is told from a different child and Safa obviously is traumatised. She's had to do that horrendous refugee journey through Turkey um, with smugglers and then eventually to Greece and then she makes it to Ireland. And really, I just felt compelled to write it because of the the sights and the, and the, what we're seeing on TV and what we're reading about it's just terrific and I wrote it to um, try and make sense of it for my own kids so I actually wrote it mm. for my kids and they helped me with it they've all edited and told me bits that were really boring or kid wouldn't say that and so it's been lovely actually it's the first book they've ever been involved with um, and I just think you know I certainly didn't expect there was going to be enough another refugee crisis on the horizon when, when I wrote this book and yet here we are with the situation in Afghanistan but I also Again, did loads and loads and loads of research and then I rang the refugee council and I met this incredible Syrian family and Sarah, who I met, she was doing her leaving when I met her, had been through the same journey because I wanted to speak to somebody and look into their eyes and actually hear their words about the journey. And she, I met her three years ago and she's become like a really important person in my life and I'm so proud of her and she's studying, you know, she came here in fifth year and she's now studying pharmaceutical science. Like what a phenomenal woman. Mm. And, you know, she is one of the, I suppose, very successful refugee stories and not everybody is. I'm very aware of that. So yeah, I wrote, I want I want children to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. I think it's really important that we get kids in primary school to really focus on empathy and compassion. So that's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's. Um, I probably, I'm talking about a lot because I'm really passionate about it and it's only just out. <laughs> so yeah. And in terms of the process of writing for adults and wrote, writing for children and you mentioned that obviously you brought in in your own kids here yeah. to help. So was the, did you find it tough to get into a, a gear change? It's funny, you know, I think if you just kind of put yourself back into into how you were as a kid and I kind of remember what it was what it was like to be a kid. And I actually found it really joyful. Um I suppose I was very conscious of not writing down. So I didn't, you know, I didn't sort of oversimplify the language or whatever, but obviously you have to be also, you know, conscious of not complicating things too much. I actually found it an incredibly joyful experience. I loved it and I plan to do many more. And did you feel you were following in your mother's footsteps? Um, it's funny, you know, because she has a kid's right. I think because she wrote nonfiction, I didn't really think about it. But now the books come out, I suppose, yes, in a way, it is kind of a lovely sort of circle of life. So what are you working on at the moment? So I have to deliver in two weeks time oh, um, God, the on. final manuscript of my new book, uh, my new adult book. So um, I am, yeah, a little bit behind on that. <laughs> anyway, Have you much left to do? I do, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go yeah. on, give us a word count there so we can all scream. No, I just you know. know, I actually know because I'll freak myself out. <laughs> but do you know how it's ending or is it planned? Yeah, yeah I know. I've, I've done the first draft. This is an, an intense edit, probably more intense than I planned. But no, yes. So. And what about more kids books then? Yeah, I mean, I've got loads of ideas. I think no more than, like my next adult book is going to be about blended families. You know, a separated man, a separated woman who get together, but they also bring their kids into it and how complicated that is. And I've loads of different ideas for kids' book. I have to figure out which one I'm going to go with first. And again, as I said, you know, just contemporary themes yeah. because, you know, that blended family, it's just the norm now. Absolutely. It wasn't originally, but yeah. it is it yeah. is now, you know. Um, and... Uh, I was going to say as well, your your other job, the Eason Book Club. Yeah, I love that. I yeah. mean, what's not to love? I get to read so many books. So we get sent, a, myself and Ricochet get sent a long list every uh, season. So there's, you know, 
spring, summer and win- autumn and winter. And then we cull it down and I choose four and he chooses four. But I mean, how hard is that? It can be really hard, you know, depend- sometimes, sometimes depending on the seasons, actually, autumn tends to be hard because uh, September is a kind of bumper time for books. But it's amazing because I get to read all these amazing books before they come out and then we get to choose them and then we get to promote them, you know, and we, we are conscious of, you know, we do try and promote debut authors if we feel the book is deserving. We do try and promote Irish authors if we feel the books are deserving. So, you know, it does give us a chance as well to promote other people, which is just a joy, really. And in terms of titles then from the past few months that you would recommend? Oh, well, you know, I actually think the best book I read last year and actually Rick chose it uh, is Still Life. Sarah Um, Oh my God. It's just magnificent. Yeah. 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 And in terms of, uh, I'm interested as well because you're at book 15, nearly book 16, Mm. hopefully, in a couple of weeks time. Yes, hopefully. Um, (laughs) You know, how is your network, I suppose, of other writers and do you rely on them, I suppose, for a little bit of support or where do you get the encouragement and the enthusiasm Mm. to keep going, you know, aside from your, or is it your publisher maybe? Uh, Well, no, I really kind of have a couple of really good writing pals. I have some very, very tight writing pals and then loads of other kind of friends who are writers. So it's actually a lovely community. Everyone is, I have to say, so nice, so generous, so well wishing. I've only experienced positivity. And it's, you know, we're a small country. We all know each other pretty much. I mean, I've been at this 20 years. I've nearly met everybody at this point and I have never had a negative experience. So it's actually really lovely. And I've made some pals for life and yeah when you're having a really bad day the only other person who's really going to get it is another writer yeah and yeah. so you just go Jesus Christ I want to throw my um you know my laptop out the window this is rubbish no one's going to want to read it and they go we all feel like this this is normal and it tends to happen at the 20,000 word mark I don't know why it's like you're a quarter way through the book or a fifth and you suddenly go this is rubbish so um you know we all kind of help each other out yeah so don't be afraid to chat chat no through. yeah and sometimes you need to talk to somebody else who's, who's writing just to that's why the writing group was brilliant because I finally felt like I found my tribe mm. um and you do you do need feedback and you need honest feedback not your friends and your family you need strangers and be honest with each mm-hmm. other, as, yeah. as you say, exactly. Well, Sinead Moriarty, thank you for joining us here on Inside Books. And you'll find about us and the new girl online or at your local bookshop now. The next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at Inside Books I-O-R-E. And if you want to hear other episodes, just search for us on the various audio platforms. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review. I'm Brida Brown. Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production. 